All right, all right. So once again, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue with our study of the New Testament book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, uh, go, ahead and head, go ahead and open them to Colossians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. If you want to use your phone, your iPad, that's fine. And we'll also have all the verses on the screen behind my head. So no matter what, we got you covered. Uh, so let's start at Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7. So this is what Paul tells us, starting at verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ as your Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So Paul specifically put a number of big words in there, um, and let's look at them for a moment. Because he says, just as you received Christ Jesus, continue in him, be rooted, and be built up. Now, what he's referring to here, there's actually two big stages uh, to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. The first is where you learn about Jesus Christ. You learn all the good news. You come to believe, right? And that's a great time. It's a huge moment. It's a good turnaround for people. And it's, not, it's big, not just because of what it means internally, but also externally. The direction of their life is now going to change. Now they're going to follow Jesus Christ. Again, great time. The next part of this, where we continue to grow throughout our, our lives, this is where problems can start to arise. This is where humans like to put their fingerprints all over things, right? And make up all these rules. And this is why Paul implores us to continue to live our lives in him, to be rooted and to be built up. And I've talked about this recently in another teaching, again, where the first stage is where we come to believe. But again, us humans really start to mess up things in the second stage, which is how do we do church? How do we do worship? For example, what do you ever think about, think about all the denominations we have in the world today? We don't have those because we all agree on everything, right? We have the same Bible, and yet, how do you worship? Is it okay to wear shorts to church? Can you wear flip-flops? Can you have drums and guitars? Because some people say, no, you can't. Some people say, you can, right? We have all these different things. And the other question is, how do we treat churches that do things just a little different than us? Are we all equal? Are we a little more, you know... You laugh, but yet we have these rules, these informal ideas, and we put our fingerprints all over the church. And that's why Paul, he's trying to prevent us from doing that. He, want us to, he wants us to continue to live our lives in Jesus Christ. Not that we put him in our lives, we just fit him into whatever we want to do and we do our own thing, but we continue in Jesus Christ. Our life is molded on his life, right, on his teachings. And this can be difficult, it is. Us humans don't always do that well. And the main reason is Jesus isn't asking us to make a small change for one afternoon, is he? He wants us to make a lifelong change, right? Where day in and day out, we have lots of choices just like everybody else. But day in and day out, over the course of our lives, weeks, months, years, decades, we continually choose Jesus and to follow him, right? That's very specific, right? That's not vague. He wants us a lifelong change, right? And what some people do when they get to that point, when they come to believe, they either say, no, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't, I'm on my own, I'm fine. Other people say, that's not too bad, but let me just like a, treat it like a swimming pool. I'm just going to dip my toe in it. I just want to see what it's like for a while. You know, I don't want to, you know, no, no, let's not get nuts here. And other people make that lifelong decision. They say, no, I'm in. And day in and day out, they stay on that path. And that's really what Paul wants us to do. And now, to put this into perspective, Jesus taught on this exact thing. 
because this is big, and we want to make sure he gets it right. We get it right, and he told us a couple parables. Uh, the first one he taught on, it's really short. It's called the parable of the hidden treasure. It's in Matthew 13, and this is what he said. He said, the kingdom of heaven, it's like, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Now, this short little parable just kind of encapsulates everything that Paul is uh, talking about. And again, it covers the great joy when we find Jesus Christ, when we come to believe. Um, and it impacts us so much that we take steps to secure it, to hold on to it. And then, and, you know, and that's kind of where baptism, communion, our statement of faith. But the next part, this is the serious part, is it's where in the story the man sells all that he has, everything to buy that one field so he can secure it, right? Those are huge steps, let's be honest. That takes commitment. That's not like an afternoon thing, right? This is, this is real. There's someone who's totally bought in. And most importantly, this involves a lifelong intentional change, right? Because that's what it's referring to. Uh, now, the next uh, parable that Jesus told is the parable of the two sons. It's in Matthew 21, and this is what he said. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons, he went to the first, and he said, son, go and work in the fields today, in the vineyards. The son said, I will not. But later, he changed his mind, and he went to work in the fields. The father then went to the other son. He said the same thing, and he answered, I will go. But he did not go, right? And then um, Jesus asked the question. He says, which of the two did what the father wanted? Well, the first, they answered, and Jesus said, Truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. So the point of this parable is that there is a very big difference between giving lip service to, the, to Jesus, like, to your faith, and then actually following him, day in, day out, over time, right? And it's vitally important that we also understand here, when Jesus was talking about this parable, he was talking to the high priests and Pharisees. He's talking to the Israelites, people who knew the law. This was not foreign to them. They couldn't claim, they didn't know any of this. They couldn't claim ignorance. And further, the high priests and Pharisees, they were trained in this stuff. It's like having a PhD in, religious, in Jewish studies. That's their job, all of this stuff. And yet, they didn't have true faith. They didn't have true faith. Their faith was shallow and false. But notice, who does Jesus give credit to in this parable? The tax collectors, the prostitutes. People that normally, in our normal world, we would call awful, sinful people. Right? We'd want to stay away from. And yet Jesus gives them full credit. He said, listen, they initially said, no, thank you. They didn't want to change their life. But over time, their hearts changed. Over time, they decided to follow Jesus Christ, to leave their sinful lives behind and change things. And this wasn't just a one-day, one-afternoon change. They, day in and day out, for the rest of their life, made a conscious choice to follow Jesus Christ. Right? Very specific, very intentional. Again, they had all the choices like everybody else, to go back to their old lives, to go in halfway, partway. No, they went all the way in. They made that choice. And this is big stuff that Paul's talking about. And he's just getting started. He's got a lot more to go. So let's continue. Let's read verse 8. Colossians 2, verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, 
which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual, spiritual forces of this world rather on Christ. Now, what Paul's referring to here is something that was kind of specific in that time, was a heretical teaching. It unfortunately was popular. It's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge or personal knowledge. And Gnosticism taught a couple of things. One, that the physical world was sinful. The spiritual world was not. But the way that you get to salvation is through personal enlightenment. You figure things out on your own, personal intuition. But this is how it worked out in real life. You had all these people try, uh, reading a little bit, understanding a little bit, and then they f- try to figure things out on their own, and they come up with their own ideas, their own thoughts, and they have their own individual ways to salvation. Sounds a little bit like denominations in a way, but in a much, much worse uh, fashion, right? And you needed to believe what they taught, their version of it, right? And what's actually, it's a heretical because they don't teach what Jesus taught. In truth, it wasn't based on anything but their own imagination. And it's really kind of sad because that particular situation is very close to what Satan did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. If you remember, when Eve was tempted with the, with the, the forbidden fruit, the apple, um, Satan, or the snake, did not say, hey, go eat that apple. Go do that. What did the snake say? Did God really say that? Is that what he said? I think God may not want you to know what he knows. What do you think about that? So what he was doing was encouraging them to ignore what God said, which was, I mean, it was very clear. Don't eat that. What do you think you should do? I don't know, maybe. What do you think? So it was encouraging them to make their own decisions, to ignore what God said, God's wisdom, and decide you know better. And so what Gnosticism does, it gives you permission to treat the Bible, God, uh, Jesus' teachings like a cafeteria. You just take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I don't like that. That's a lot of work. Let's go over here. And then I'm going to build my own denomination, my own religion, based on my little personal choices, right? And what's dangerous about that system, that belief system, when you first see it, especially to people who don't know that much about Jesus Christ, it doesn't appear outwardly evil. It doesn't appear outwardly deceptive, right? So it doesn't always have those big red flags. And some people get tempted into it because it can feel very intelligent, enlightened. But in fact, it's wrong. It's wrong for a lot of reasons. Um, And so Paul doesn't want us to have anything to do with it. The main reason, the main reason it is not compatible with Christianity is because of something Jesus said, which is very non-vague. And I'm going to read it to you. This is in John 14, verse 6. You may have heard this before. I am the way, the truth, and the life. How does it finish? No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. That's not a cafeteria-style menu, right? He doesn't give us permission to pick and choose what we want to follow. It's we follow him alone, and that's all we're allowed. Now let's move on to verses 9 and 10 because Paul's got more to say. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So what Paul's doing here is after addressing the Gnostic stuff and all the other things that us humans try to do with Christianity, he's trying to bring it all back to Jesus Christ, putting everything square on his shoulders. He's taking us out of it, right? It's simply about Jesus Christ. And that's why he's so specific about his power and authority. Paul says very directly, he is the head of every other power. He has all authority. Again, it makes it very clear that we don't have the authority, the power to do what we want with it, right? Because Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. 
And that automatically grants him immense power, immense, immense respect, and immense authority. Now, the other reason this is important, the other reason why Paul is making such a deal about this, is back then it was very uh, popular with a lot of the pagan religions of the time. You know, they had lots of different gods. But when a new god came along, a new idea, something like that, what you did was you just slid that god in there with all the others. The way I like to describe it is imagine like in your house, you have a mantle above your fireplace, and you have all the different gods you worship, Zeus, Athena, all this stuff. And you learn about this guy, Jesus. You're like, oh, sounds cool. You're just going to go, you just put him up there with everybody else. And that was the system, right? Um, and this, this, this is actually true. This happened with Paul. It's a, there's a story in Acts uh, chapter 17. And the story goes that Paul is in Athens. I think it was like Athens, Georgia. I'm not sure, but he's there and he sees all these statues, right? All these statues are on the pedestal. And then he looks around and he sees one particular pedestal with nothing on it. It's empty, but it has a sign, a sign in front of it that says, to an unknown God. He's like, wow, that is peculiar, right? And so he starts asking questions. The purpose of this sign for the Athenians was, there may be a chance there's a God we don't know about. And just in case, we're ready if we find out about it. So, right? And so really, if you think about it, what it says is to this God, this is Athenians, hey, listen, we don't know anything about you yet. We don't even know if you're real. But just in case we don't want you to be mad at us, we're going to take steps to show that we're ready. We have space on our mantle for you in the event we ever find out who you are. Right? Now, when you hear about that, that can seem kind of funny, misguided, and it is to a point. But if you really think about it, they're not arrogant. Right? They're being honest. They're saying, hey, we don't know but just in case. But it gives you a, a really good view into their mindset because they have this view that all gods are okay. I mean, that, that's their system. And just in case there's another, we're totally cool with that, right? That's where their head's at. And so what Paul is doing through all this, especially in verses 9 and 10, he talks about Jesus being the fullness of God, right? Having all power and authority. So it's important for them and for us to understand who Jesus is. He cannot simply be put up on the pedestal on the pedestal or on the mantle with all the other gods. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't happen that way, right? Jesus is the only one. There are no others. And it's not because we say that. It's because Jesus himself said that. And because Paul is talking to new believers and believers that have been around for a long time, there's, there's a realization that comes with the gospel, especially if you have friends who are of a different faith, that eventually... We have to say, Jesus said he is the only way. Right? There's a realization. When you begin to talk about your faith, and you can do it very gently in a friendly way, but the truth is, this is what Jesus said. It's not okay to put him up with other gods. Not because I said that, because of who? He said that. that that's just what he said. So now as we move into verses 11 through 12, Paul is going to describe uh, what coming to believe in Jesus means, and it really means an internal transformation. But this internal transformation is not due to the work of humans. Right? We can't take credit for that. So let's look at that. Colossians 2, 11 through 12. He says, In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off, when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. 
So what he's doing, he's making an important distinction for the Colossians. Um, the people of the time back then, they were not Jews, where he was talking in that particular area. But they would have known about the Jewish law. They would have known about the requirement uh, for circumcision. And so what he's saying is physical circumcision doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with real faith. What really matters, the only thing that matters is faith in Jesus Christ, right? Where you leave your old life behind, your sinful ways, and you begin to make a, you make a day in and day in and day in and day out decision to follow Jesus Christ. And more to the point, Paul says, listen, we are actually buried with Jesus, right? Through our baptism, like we experienced this morning, and then we are raised to a new life through him. And that changes us inside and out. And this is a really good point. Because us humans can get stuck on human rules and, and really force them. So, for instance, someone can be physically circumcised but not believe. Right? They, they, they really can. It's just simply an act you go through. But real faith, faith in God, can't be faked. God can see into your heart. And it's really only, only when we come to believe and we make that choice is when the real transformation happens. Okay? And then to clarify this point even further, because it's such a big deal, Paul's going to talk more about it in verses 13 to 15. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Paul here, he's making a really interesting distinction between Christianity and all the other religions. Because in Christianity, it's different. In Christianity, we are told that before we come to believe, before we come to believe, we are spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead in our sins. It's not just that we don't know God or haven't given him enough gifts. We are spiritually dead. That's a very specific category. That's a very specific description. And, our, and that condition is very extreme. And we have no ability to change it on our own. It just, it is. That's just how things are, right? It's not that we just need a little extra time, like if you're sick and you'll eventually get better. We don't need a doctor. We need forgiveness of sins. We need redemption and salvation. So it's really unique. It's very profound, and Paul wants to make sure they understand that. Now, Paul also describes here that God keeps a list of our sins. Did you guys kind of notice that when we read that? And just so you know, that also includes all the little bitty ones. Not just the big ones. God is aware of all of them. There's a list. And the language he uses here indicates that this list exists. He also says we have no power to change it or do anything about it on our own. And he says, this is his words, it stands against us. So it's like, it's like video proof. God's got a recorder. It's right there. So you can't claim, well, that wasn't me. That was my brother. Don't know anything about it. It stands against you. It's rock solid. It shows your guilt. But the good news is, because of what Jesus did on the cross, it says that list is nailed to the cross with Jesus. It died with him, right? So our sins are destroyed. They're paid for by Jesus. And Paul wants to make sure we never forget how important that is, right? The great benefit we get from Jesus. The more we understand our sins, our, our culpability, how responsible we are, the more special it is we know what, when, when we know what Jesus did for us, right? And once we come to believe in uh, Jesus, we are completely new. Now, again, Paul's going to talk about this again. Once us humans come to believe and we get down to how to do church and religion over the long period, 
we have this tendency humans do to put their fingerprints all over it, make all these little rules and little hierarchies. Uh, we even put in rules in there that Jesus didn't give us. So let's read verses 16 to 17 and see what he's talking about. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So he's making a very clear distinction. There is no place for legalism when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter in the big picture if you follow the Sabbath the way it's described in the Old Testament. It doesn't matter if you follow a kosher diet or if you like bacon periodically. It's okay. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. Now, to be very specific, if you want to do that, that's fine. If you want to follow a kosher diet, that's fine. If you want to follow the Sabbath exactly as is described in the Old Testament, that is okay. You can do that. But he's saying it does not make you a better Christian. And you cannot in any way use that to raise yourself up over other Christians who don't do the exact same thing. Does that make sense? You can't do that. He's saying that is legalism. It holds no value. It is incompatible with Christianity. This is one of the best verses in the Bible, and I'm sure you've heard it before. It's John 3.16. It's good for a lot of reasons, but it also clarifies this point exactly. It says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't take anything about holidays, diet, whatever. It's just about faith, right? Whoever is believed, right? No matter what us humans try to wedge in there and try to create hierarchies and denominations, We can't do that. So let's now continue with verses 18 to 19 because Paul's going to start to give very real examples of all the ways us humans do what we're not supposed to with the faith. So starting at verse 18, he says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. In Colossae at this time, angel worship got really big for a while. It was, it's just one of, the, it's one of those things that kind of came out of Gnosticism. Pick and choose what you want, and that's what they did. And that's why he threw that little bit in there. He said, such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. See where he's going with it? It really fits in with all of that. They have a lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Now, we want to pick this apart a little bit because Paul's really starting to let these people have it. And we need to do this so we don't do the same thing in the future, right? Notice he mentions false humility. Humility comes from the word humble, and it means someone who lowers themselves, right? You, really, you see everybody, and you, you don't raise yourself up. You don't want the uh, focus on you, the spotlight on you. You lower yourself, okay? Uh, and that's what he's talking about. Uh, and this completely relates with what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen, if you want to be first, you need to be last. You need to be the servant of all. And servant is a very specific word. Servant doesn't mean equal, does it? It means you're, you're, you serve other people. They are above you, right? And that's, that's actually a tall order. It's the exact opposite of what people who want to raise themselves up do, right? And that's what false humility is. It's a person who pretends to be humble, tries to look humble, but in reality, their main goal is to draw attention to themselves, to make themselves look more holy than others, right? Where they want people to look at them and go, wow, that dude's holy. That is amazing. Wow. Right? And Jesus saw this frequently with the high priests and Pharisees. He said they wear expensive clothes, 
They intentionally go out in the middle of the street corner and they pray. And they say these long, boisterous prayers. Words like supplication and all this other fancy stuff that nobody says in real life, right? Do you ever, ever, ever pray by yourself at home and go, supplication? No, do you? No. And, and so what Jesus said to prevent us from doing that, to help us, and it's unfortunately he has to say this, but he does. He says, listen, when you pray, when each of you pray, go home, go to your room, close the door. Shut the blinds. He's like, don't let anybody see you. And then just pray. Just talk to God. Have a relationship with him. That's what this is about. That's what true relationship is. Anything else where you're drawn, uh, you know, turn on your webcam, turn on the, you want people to see you, and you start, you know, that, has not, that is false humility. Don't do that. Jesus wants us to pray with our heart, from our heart, have a true connection. Now, the last few verses here, uh, Paul's going to go even further with this warning because it really does a lot of damage when people do this. Uh, verses 20 to 23. He says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this, of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, why do you submit to its rules? Don't handle this. Don't taste this. Don't touch. These rules, which have, which have to do with the things that are destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They appear to be wise with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. And this is the key. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now, what he's doing here, he's obviously venting his frustration at these man-made rules that keep getting thrown at people. Don't handle this. Don't touch that. Don't eat this, right? And Paul, he's like, stop. Everybody, stop. And this point I want to share with you is our main point for today. And this, this is really what Paul is want, wants people to understand, right? Let's go to that slide next. Christianity. If there's one thing you get from today, if there's one thing, get this. Christianity, at its core, at its foundation, is simply about faith in Jesus, right? And then, then, go live that out through forgiveness, love, patience, generosity, and kindness, Right? You'll notice that has nothing to do with the denomination, does it? Nothing. Right? Those are positive to-do words. Those aren't negative don't-do words. Remember, legalism and all those rules are man-made actions. They bind you. They create hierarchies. And in the long run, they accomplish nothing. Right? They get you nowhere. Believing in Jesus Christ releases you from your past and your sins, and you get a new life. Right? The one thing, remember, the one thing Jesus asked people to do, which was just simply follow him, seems to be the hardest for us to do. Because like the parable of the man who bought the treasure in the field, we, we need to let go of everything. And if we've got to be honest, that can be hard to do. But that's what Jesus says, just simply follow me. And since we're talking about legalism, the other truth that Paul brings up is that it does not prevent bad behavior. Legalism does not restrain bad behavior, doesn't prevent it. If you have a checkoff sheet, something I jokingly call like church push-ups, like all the fancy stuff people do, it can provide cover for your bad behavior. It does. Don't believe me? Look at the problems of the Roman Catholic Church over the past 50, 60, 70 years. How many times has a pedophile been allowed to operate within that denomination and simply get moved to another denomination time after time after time? How? Because they kept up the legalism. Do this, and it's okay. Do this, it's okay. Even when they got caught, 
Repeatedly did they reluctantly begin to change, but even then it wasn't still for the right reason. If you watch the news periodically today, there's another one, there's another one. The focus of the church leadership is maintaining the legalism in the denomination. Now, for the record, this, you can be a Roman Catholic and be a very good Christian, just like you can of any denomination. The trouble happens when you force the denomination, the rules, the legalism above faith, right? Because like what Paul says is that can provide cover for bad behavior, okay? Paul says, in his own words, legalism lacks any value in restraining indulgence. It doesn't do that right? If anything, again, it provides cover. So this is where Paul is leading us to. The reason Paul is saying all this is, and this is kind of vital to us to understand all of this, is before we get to Christianity, before we get to baptism and communion and all the other stuff, what preceded that, and this is what Paul said earlier, is that we are dead in our sins. We, are, we, are, we can't fix it on our own. And what we had was God the Father, the creator of the universe, reaching down to us to help us. And he's doing that through Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. So that's why Paul is so adamant, so staunch, and so aggressive to getting all that other stuff out of the way. Because if we fail in following Jesus Christ, it's not because of God. It's because of who? Because of us. All the stuff that we do. All the stuff that we throw at each other. Right? So it's on us. So he wants us to get rid of all that stuff. And just simply focus on Jesus Christ. And you're going to have good days, and you're going to have bad days. And that's okay. We're not going to throw the Bible at you. We don't do that. We're all human. So what we want to do, we we always want to be up front with you guys. Uh, Myself, Pastor Joey, Pastor Craig, our desire, and you can write this down, our desire is for ourselves, each one of us here, to grow in our faith together, to believe in Jesus Christ. We don't care what denomination you came from. We don't care what denomination you still belong to. That's okay. Wherever you are, whatever you have done in your life, you have a new life in Jesus Christ. And it's our goal, wherever you are, if this is your first day in church, you've been here for decades, is to move you further in your faith, just as we want to grow too. Okay? That's the whole point of this. So like we always do as we begin to finish, we are going to pray together. And we're going to pray for a couple of things. First, no matter where you are in your faith, we want you to grow, just as I want to grow, right? And if this is your first day in church, or if you're considering making, making a choice to believe in Jesus Christ, I'm going to say these words, and if you want to do that, say the words after me. Repeat what I say. You can do it quietly, right in your seat. There's no test. No one's going to ask you. You are welcome to do that, okay? And if you have any questions afterwards, we're up here. Uh, we will help you in any way we can. So let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and then I believe that you raised him from the dead. And today, it's my choice, and I ask Jesus to come into my life, to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, to help me, and guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today, each one of us here, we specifically pray for an increase in faith regardless of where we all are in our faith, from just beginning or having believed in you for decades, move each one of us forward. Father, we, th- we also ask for greater knowledge of you. Help us to understand your teachings. Help us to understand the best way to apply them to our lives so that we can become the best disciples possible. Help us to see the path you've laid out for us. Guide our steps. 
Lead us to people who don't know you so that we might share our faith and the hope that we have in your Son. And Father, we ask, we ask for strength to endure all trials because they will come. May everything we go through, both good and bad, may it strengthen our faith and our resolve, and may we, may we lean on you. And Father, we pray that as our faith grows, you will use each one of us. You've given us opportunities. You've given us uh, unique talents. Use us as you see fit. Each one of us is capable of moving mountains through you. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us. We thank you for the church. And most of all, as always, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we ask all these things. Amen.